Hello and welcome back. Today I will be presenting Pastor Merritt's The Old Testament Overview, Lesson Number 8. Before we begin, let us remember 1 John 1 9, as may or may not be necessary. Lesson 8. Point 1. Last lesson, I completed an analysis of the doctrine of manna and how it related to the first Sabbath, a seventh day to commemorate that God had done all he could do for man. Now it was man's job to rest in God's Sabbath. Point 2. Ever since the seventh day of the restoration, God has been offering mankind a rest, a Sabbath. And ever since that seventh day, mankind has been resisting God's Sabbath rest. 2.1. Let's review the doctrine of faith rest. 1. The fear panic ploy. 1.1. It is possible to spend much time in the Word of God and fall apart in an emergency or time of great pressure and personal testing. 1.1.1. Recognize this as fact. 1.2. Sudden disaster can bring a believer to a point where he cannot concentrate on doctrine, nor perceive that God is in charge. 1.3. It is therefore important for us to show that the difference between fear and courage is our ability to concentrate objectively while under pressure. 1.3.1. This means we must be able to recall previously learned doctrine. 1.4. The coward cannot think under pressure, while the man of courage can summon his senses and think of the solution rather than the problem. 1.5. Concentration is required to learn and apply doctrine under pressure. 1.5.1. Fear destroys the ability to concentrate. 1.6. Adversity, suffering, and disaster all destroy concentration, both in learning and applying doctrine. The suddenness or intensity of disaster causes panic and hinders the ability to concentrate and apply doctrine. 1.8. The normal reaction to disaster is fear, and with fear comes panic. However, it is abnormal for the matured believer when fear is permitted to continue. 1.9. Since fear is so prevalent, universal, detrimental, and a mental attitude sin, the Bible has many imperatives relating thereto. Deuteronomy. Chapter 31, verse 6 through 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. 
for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 through 13. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Point two, the loss of prosperity, loss of loved one, loss of health, loss of work, experiencing critical illness, etc., can all produce fear. 2.1. Fear makes difficult the recall of biblical promises. Point three, the loss of things we deem valuable produces instant panic, and the mind must be stabilized before doctrine can be applied. Point four, the solution to the fear problem is found in the use of the faith rest technique, i.e. by recycling biblical promises to abrogate fear. Point five, David uses the faith rest technique when he says he will slam his troubles on the Lord. Psalms chapter 56 verse 3 When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Bata means to slam trouble down, or it also has the meaning of hiding in a cave. Point 6. The fear of death is evil, and the fear of death comes from the devil. Psalms chapter 23 verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Point 7. Fear and evil cover the land today in the form of fears about a lack of energy, war, depression, revolution, destruction of the environment, etc. Point eight, God has delivered us from fear 
and all forces which motivate fear. 8.1. Through the faith rest drill, you can and should have a relaxed mental attitude toward all these things. Job chapter 5 verses 19 through 27. From six calamities he will rescue you. In seven no harm will befall you. In famine he will ransom you from death and in battle from the stroke of the sword. You will be protected from the lash of the tongue and need not fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine and need not fear the beast of the earth. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. You will know that your children will be many and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor, like sheaves gathered in seven. We have examined this, and it is true. So hear it and apply it to yourself. Point nine. We should take in the word so we can know about our security. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Point 10. 
We should give thanks in all things, the bad as well as the good. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Point 11. Each believer should get under the authority of his pastor-teacher, metabolize doctrine, and cast all cares on God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 through 7. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Point 12. When in trouble, don't assume you know it all, because you certainly don't, says the Lord. Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 52. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Point 13. Prayer, when properly applied, will facilitate recovery from anxiety. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Point 14. No matter what the fight or the odds, the battle is the Lord's. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Now Goliath, God, will give you into our hands. Point 15. God's timing is perfect, and this includes both life and death. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 4, 6, 7, and 8.
for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid upon for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Point 16. As we earlier noted in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but rather he gives power, love, and a sound mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Point 17. How we handle a normal day is how we handle an abnormal day, i.e., we are going to think human or divine viewpoint. Psalms, chapter 56, verse 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. 18. A major faith rest principle is eternal security. Point 19. You cannot faith rest if you doubt the efficacy of Christ's work. Point 20. To use the faith rest drill, you must be confident in your position in Christ. Point 21. If we worry over sin and time, we become casualties in the angelic conflict. 21.1. Sin is no longer an issue. All sin was nailed to the cross. When we cite a sin to God, it is forgotten. We are forgiven and purified. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the trust is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So as you notice, Pastor Merritt's done it for years, and we have it right there, 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. I'm going to go through that again, 1 John 1, 8, 1, 9, and 1, 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the trust is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Pretty easy. Get you back. 
Continuing on, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Point 22. We therefore should cling to the following promises. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10:13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. And all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 14, verse 26. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. Psalms, chapter 118, verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Isaiah, chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Matthew chapter 10 verse 30 But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 In Christ Jesus we have boldness and a confident access to the Father with boldness because we have believed on the name of the only born one of God. Point 23 the mechanics of the faith rest technique are 
23.1. Claim a promise to stabilize the mind. God works all things together for the good. 23.2. Use reverse process concentration. For knowledge. God thought about me in eternity past. Predestination. God had a plan for me in eternity past. Election. God saw my choices and chose me. Justification. God can now bless me because he is propitiated. Glorification. God is exalted when I am blessed. 23.3. Reach doctrinal conclusions. If God is for me, who can be against me? God saved me when I was his enemy. How shall he not now provide for me now that I am family? 24. Conclusion. When you are caught up in some dreadful disaster, remember that no matter how grave the danger, as a mature believer, you are perfectly safe in the Lord's hands. Let's return to our study of Lesson 8. Point 3. We spent some time noting how the grandeur of creation is sufficient for man to recognize the essence and nature of God. Point 4. Even after observing the grandeur of the garden, mankind chose to fall. This fall resulted in man being forced from the garden and thus ended the age of innocence. Point five, after the fall, Adam and Eve, by copulation, produced Cain and Abel. Cain, an unbeliever, slew Abel, leaving earth without a believing heir. Point six, later, however, a new believer was born to Adam and Eve, along with many daughters. The new believer was named Seth. Point seven, the earth's population then grew by leaps and bounds. The Bible, taking note of such men as Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamesh, and Noah. Point eight. Now I want to fast forward to the flood, but first we need an introduction. Point nine. Given the fact the Bible claims great flood occurred sometime between 3500 and 5000 BC, many skeptics have expressed doubt that any such phenomena ever took place. This you might expect in the devil's world. Point 10. There are numerous scientific studies which both refute and support the flood. We need no convincing given our belief in the infallible word of God, but since secular viewpoints seem to get all the press. Let's look at a, at a couple of articles which raise certain interesting questions. Ali Oop by Probe Ministries from 1973. Recall that according to evolutionary thought, the dinosaur walked the earth 200 million years ago and became extinct during the Cretaceous period 70 million years ago. The soil on which he walked would have become solid rock 
70 million years before the appearance of man in the evolutionary view of time. But, well-established, human tracks exist side-by-side with those of the Tyrannosaurus and Brontosaurus and the Palaxy Riverbed near Glen Rose, Texas. The rock is a Cretaceous formation dating roughly 100 million years old. It has been suggested that these human footprints are carvings. Indians are known to have carved footprints, and perhaps they did these, some say. However, footprints carved by the Indians resemble the real prints of a moving man like Caudiga, the wooden Indian, resembles a modern American Indian. Carved footprints are copies of the bottom of a foot, but bear none of the markings that accompany the motion and pressure of real walking feet. Well, you may say, if it were true that dinosaur and human footprints exist side by side in the rock formation of a single age, it would have been published by now, and I would have read read it in a book or magazine article. It has been published, filmed, described, and verified in books, symposiums, and journals. It's just that none of them have been assigned to you, Dr. A.E. Wilder-Smith, a gentleman with three earned doctorates in the physical sciences, has been among many to visit the Palexi Riverbed and pronounce the tracks genuine. Furthermore, chemical analysis it confirms this same conclusion to the closer observer. Now perhaps you are smiling, because the idea of a contemporaneous dinosaur and human prince does turn on its own entertaining little glow in one's mind. But you'll still go for the carved print theory. To you, I've just said two and two aren't four. Okay, but do read on. A geologist named Meister was snooping around in a Cambrian formation near Antelope Springs, Utah, in June of 1968. He hit a piece of rock with his hammer, and it fell open like the pages of a book. There, staring him in the face, was a size 9 human sandal print, crushed in the heel and toe of this now fossilized sandal print were several trilobites. The trilobite is the index fossil of the Cambrian period, the period of time when the evolutionists supposed that life first sprang forth into a variety of primitive forms. Now the trilobite became extinct late in the Permian period, 200 million years ago, and uncrushable a few years later. So Mr. Meister felt he might have a significant find on his hands, since sandals were not invented until the coming of man more than 200 million years after the Permian period when the trilobite became extinct. Here are two creatures then, trilobite and man, held by evolutionary thought 
to have been separated by millions of years of time. What this find does is indicate that they actually lived at one and the same time or something, maybe weird rock layers, juxtapositions occurred because, I don't know. In the mid-60s, a research team from the Geochronology Department of the University of Arizona, under the direction of world-famous paleontologist Gerald Kramp, picked their way to the base of the Grand Canyon and took a number of rock samples from a pre-Cambrian rock formation called Hecate Shale. This strata is said by evolutionists, geologists, stratigraphers to have been formed over 500 million years ago. That's 250 million years before the evolution of the pine tree a conifer, the team brought back the rock samples, which were prepared in laboratories for viewing of their microscopic content by Dr. Clifford Burdick, another paleontologist. Under the microscope, they proved to be riddled throughout with the fossilized spores of pine tree pollen. Pine tree pollen and rocks hardened 250 million years before the coming of a pine tree. Imagine the child living 250 million years before its parents. Well, the fine, need I say, was pretty controversial. It was decided that the pollen spores were contaminants. That is, to say they had entered the rock samples at the time of the samples were taken. But another team of scientists looked at them and their conclusion was that since the material content of the spores was the same as that of the rock in which they were found, they were actually fossilized right where they were now viewed and were not contaminants. But the Grand Canyon isn't that far. So in the summer of 1970, another team dispatched by Loma Linda University trekked to the base of the canyon for more samples. Later, it was my privilege to share this topic in an LSU geology class with a member of this second team sitting in. The class heard a detailed description of the extreme precautions taken by the second team to preclude any possibility of bringing back contaminated samples. Only rock, recessed two feet, rubber gloves, rapid packaging and marking, and sterilized bags. Then the class viewed a slide of the fossilized pine tree pollen spore. From samples taken on the second expedition, keep in mind that nobody can carve a microscopic pollen spore. The conclusion strongly suggested is that the time which evolutionists say elapsed between the Precambrian period and the Pennsylvanian period never occurred. These three evidences are exemplary of hundreds that tell us rock strata must be better understood in some other framework. In the face of these provoking facts, creationism offers a powerful 
and satisfying alternative. How Long Can You Tread Water? by Probe Ministries, 1973. The September 1969 issue of Scientific American is devoted to a study of the ocean. In his article, Continental Shells, K.O. Emery discusses a change in level of the world's oceans, stating, It rose rather rapidly to within about 5 meters of the present level 5,000 years ago. According to Emery, this is a rise of 130 meters. The date he cites is highly significant since it is in the ballpark of the biblical date of the flood, 3500 to 5000 BC. The canopy would indeed provide the rain, but what about a mechanism for the canopy's collapse? How can we explain its suspension in the Earth's atmosphere for a thousand years or more, and then its sudden disintegration. Genesis 6 tells us God did it, and why. The question is, did he use natural means or supernatural? It certainly is legitimate to look around for possible natural causes at this point. Several have been suggested, but we'll consider one the possibility that volcanic activity was the mechanism that caused the canopy to collapse. Volcanic eruptions could put millions of particles of dust and volcanic ash into the Earth's atmosphere, providing the condensation nuclei around which the water vapor of the canopy could then be precipitated and fall as rain. To illustrate the vast potential in a period of intense volcanic activity, Consider the enormity of a single eruption, that of Krakatoa in the East Indies. In 1883, Krakatoa blew her top and put four cubic miles of solid material into the Earth's atmosphere. The volcanic dust thus suspended was enough to darken the sunsets and sunrise and lower the average temperature of the Earth for over a year. As the canopy collapsed, atmospheric pressure would drop rapidly, just as when air escapes from a tire. The gas laws tell us that the expansion of any gas, including the Earth's atmosphere, is accompanied by a corresponding drop in temperature. This drop in temperature would be radical and varied from location to location. High-velocity wind would augment these already cascading drops in temperature. Precipitation in the polar regions would thus be in the form of huge ice dumps rather than rain. At this point, let's turn to some investigations of polar ice to see if we can find confirming evidence of volcanic activity coinciding with the buildup of the ice. An Army colonel and the region's geologist, Anthony Gow, has taken 7,100 feet of core samples from nine Antarctic glaciers. A core sample is like dipping into the glacier with a big cookie cutter and drawing out a deep cross-section to look at. He found over 2,000 
individual samples of volcanic ash interbedded within the ice. Here is evidence that the ice we now have at the poles has not thawed since the collapse of the canopy and has thus preserved the volcanic material within it. Before we leave the subject of cold weather, I'd like to make lateral reference to some information coming from a sister science, anthropology. Canadian anthropologist Arthur Custance, author of the Doorway Papers, has written one entitled Flood Traditions of the World, in which he points out the overwhelming number of references, accounts, mythologies, folklores, and histories of a worldwide flood. These accounts come from both primitive and highly civilized people all over the globe. On pages 23 to 25, he lists 130 of these stories and also states that a frequent feature of them is the mention of the great chilling and cold of the flood survivors. And we would expect the memory of harsh new conditions to be firmly implanted into the minds of the flood survivors and their offspring. So thus far we have the earth created with a water vapor canopy, physical conditions altered by the canopy's existence, the collapse of the canopy at the time of Noah's flood, logical orderly rock formations are not always found. The Canopy by Probe Ministries, 1973. Genesis 1, 6 and 7. God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament and from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. I take this to refer to a clear canopy of water vapor which enveloped planet Earth from the time of the creation referred to here until the flood of Noah's day, at which time this canopy collapsed, providing the 40 days and 40 nights of rain. During its existence, the canopy caused what meteorologists call an entirely different atmospheric regime, i.e., it dictated the weather phenomena and conditions of the atmosphere. Depending on the volume of water in the canopy, it would cause an atmospheric pressure several times that of our present day. It is interesting that several experiments have studied life under such pressure and found it to be more beneficial than our present pressure with significant health benefits. A second effect of the canopy would be a greenhouse effect, providing an equalizing of temperatures from pole to pole. Now, if such an equalization existed, we should expect to find fossil evidence that climactic conditions were much warmer at one time than at the present time. This would provide large tropical and subtropical plant and animal life in locations now too cold to support such flora and life forms. That is exactly what we have found. 
On mountain peaks at the South Pole, Admiral Byrd found the fossils of a lush tropical forest. In the New Siberian Islands, a 90-foot fruit tree was discovered buried in the frozen tundra. With luscious foliage and fruit still intact. The largest trees indigenous to this frosty area are now one-inch willows. And across the Arctic Circle, Greenland, Siberia, and northern Canada, we find fossil evidence of large animals and a tropical plant life that would be enough to make any horticulturist drool. A third condition of this pre-flood atmospheric regime is a significant reduction in radiation due to the filtering effects of the canopy. The water would screen out much of the high-energy radiation, cosmic, ultraviolet, gamma, etc., which now penetrates to the Earth's surface. Doubtless you know there are many deleterious effects of too much radiation. Extreme exposure can kill, and there are a variety of negatives which can reduce life expectancies. Radiation is capable of generating cancer and causing an endless array of gene mutations. And these are almost always harmful. It has been long conjectured by many reputable scientists that a canopy would cause life expectancies to drastically extend. This is what we find recorded in the Bible. After the flood, we find life expectancies gradually being reduced to what we today call three score and ten. Before the flood, we had ages recorded of 900 years plus. Not only does the Bible record these extended pre-flood lifespans, but so also does folklore epics, and mythologies of many ancient cultures. Why? Many have surmised that people have always admired growing old, and then there are others with a more scientific view who believe the canopy caused this phenomena. Point 11. It is clear from the article entitled The Canopy That the Water Surrounding the Atmosphere of Planet Earth Would Certainly Have Created Special and unique phenomena not presently preserved. 11.1. I want to close our little excursion with one last antidote, which might be titled Birth of an Island. Charles Hunt, then president of the American Geological Institute, cites this antidote as one of many reasons why carbon dating leaves much to be desired. An island in the near Pacific, this little island was Kilauea, was a known short-lived life was dated by carbon-14 and said to be between 0 to 22 million years. Experts, when queried about the scientific slop, responded, because the island was underwater so long before it rose, Cataclysmically, from the ocean, there was a shielding by the water of cosmic radiation. Therefore, less carbon-14 buildup due to very few cosmic rays bombarding nitrogen atoms. 
11.2. Little did these experts realize at the time, this very accurate statement explains the great disparities of carbon-14 datings when antedevillian versus post-devillian dates are compared. In Genesis 1 verse 7, God said he placed a canopy of water around the atmosphere or firmament covering planet Earth. 11.3 At the time of the great flood, which is estimated to be about 4000 BC, based on a number of good scientific as well as biblical reasons, the canopy of water collapsed and we had one heck of a rain. 11.4 This was the first time planet Earth saw rain. The canopy made for a deluge and ended the great shielding, which had formerly kept carbon-14 from building up at normal, post-diluvian rates. That's the end of the lesson today on Pastor Maris' Old Testament Overview, lesson number eight. As usual, I'm thanking you for joining me and uh, tolerating some of my mispronunciations. I'm giving it all I got. Uh, again, thank you. Remember anyone within the sound of my voice that is without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, all it takes is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So long.